This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert stole the spotlight at DCPA last weekend by loudly singing, vaping, and, quote, causing a disturbance during a performance of Beetlejuice the Musical. So we're recapping the latest and perhaps juiciest episode yet of The Boebert Show and sharing our Rocky Mountain highs and lows of the week. Plus, a very important announcement. I'm just kidding. You're going to like it. Today is Friday, September 15th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city where you can buy a historic mansion with deep ties to the legal weed movement for a mere $2.3 million. If you're interested, you just have to text my buddy Dave. He'll meet you in the parking lot behind Target. Bring cash. It'll be fine. Uh, So anyway, it's Friday. We're here at the beautiful 5280 Magazine Studios where there has been some light construction happening this morning. Sorry if there are some noises later on in the show. Uh, Bree is out. So joining me today are two returning favorites. First, our state politics and green chili correspondent, Justine Sandoval, is back. Welcome back. Howdy. So good to see you this morning, Justine. Good to see you. And our other returning guest, he was on the show about a month ago talking to us about DPS's seclusion room situation. And as of this week, he represents North and West Denver in the Colorado House of Representatives. Welcome back, Tim Hernandez. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, man? How are you? I'm great, Tim. I'm great. (laughs) You were sworn in on Tuesday. I saw some pictures. What was that like? Uh, it was it was pretty surreal. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm the first member of Gen Z, and so I like even like in, in the, the house in the house. Yeah, and so like I uh, it, it was really beautiful, man. I uh, we um, traditionally I was finding out from Capitol staff that usually folks are only allowed like two people, but like uh, I kind of just invited like a bunch of my students and my family and teachers. I taught so there was like 50 <laughs> oh, people, and we put them all on the house floor, and so like. We did a Chicano clap from the well. It was crazy. So it was it was a good time. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. Justine, what, is, what do you think that means? The first first Gen Z in our uh, House of Representatives. I love it. Gen Z in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, literally in the house. <laughs> but no, I'm like, I've been a big advocate for youth participation and voters for a long time. I was once upon a time the president of the Denver Young Dems, but now I'm an old Dem, so. Yeah, how did, they, did they kick you out at yeah, a certain age? Yeah, they kick you out after oh, you turn, man. you can stay through 35, and then when you turn 36, you're gone. You go <laughs> oh, to man. the old. But no, I love it because I think, you know, uh, Gen Z is going to be our hope. Like, really, I think it's going to be the generation that's going to participate more than past generations have voted, like, at a younger age and voting and making decisions. So it just makes sense that there's a leader in our state house that's representing that demographic and hopefully encouraging that participation that we desperately need to make this crazy experiment of democracy work. Well, speaking of this crazy experiment in democracy, we have a great topic to get into in <laughs> oh, a minute. Man. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I, I, I do have one 
piece of exciting news before we get into it. So for the last two and a half years, since we launched this show and this newsletter, Hey Denver, people have been asking us, how can I support CityCast? You all work so hard to make a daily podcast and a newsletter to keep me informed about the news happening in Denver and cool stuff going on. I would love to do my part. How do I do it? And I've never had a good answer, but as of today, I finally do. We are starting a membership program. So why join? What does that mean? Um, there are four full-time journalists working on CityCast Denver. There's myself, there's our host, Bree Davies, our other producer, Olivia Jewell-Love, our newsletter editor, Peyton Garcia. You've heard us all on the podcast. You know who we are. We put ourselves into this so much every day. And this membership program is the best way to support our work and engage deeper in what we do. So this is things like Mayoral Madness earlier this year. We did, you know, hard hitting, but actually human interviews with the candidates. If that meant something to you, if that was useful to you, this is the best way to support us. You know, we're looking every day for the best bakeries, the best date nights, the best peach stands, ice cream shops all across Denver. It's funny, but it's, it's real work. And I think it makes people's lives better. I know it's made my life better. I mean, Eating, eating better food, that's for sure. Um, and we do all of this for free and we do not wanna lock it up behind a paywall. We wanna be around for years. That's why we're inviting you to become a founding member of CityCast Denver today. We're a local business. This is the best way to support a local business. If the pandemic taught us anything, if you don't support local businesses, they go away. So you gotta put your money where your mouth is. If, if, you, if you like the show, if the show means something to you, join the membership program today. But that's not all. There's also some perks. I'm a podcast listener. I know ads take up a lot of time. If you join and become a member today, you get access to an ad-free podcast feed. <gasps> think so about the time ad, you get back in your life. everywhere now. That's actually, I think that's a pretty big. Like, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. That's cool. So, I mean, that's just like, I mean, you can have that right now. All you have to do is go to membership.citycast.fm, sign up, become a founding member today. We're going to put a link in the show notes, but membership.citycast.fm. It's got all the information you need to know. And thank you so much for your support. All right. So I've been dying to talk about this top story with you too, because this is like, it felt like Christmas morning, honestly, when this dropped for me and I saw this news, I was so happy. Um, the lead from the Denver Post U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert was escorted out of a Sunday night performance of the Beetlejuice musical in downtown Denver, accused by venue officials and multiple sets of other patrons in the audience of vaping, singing, recording, and, quote, causing a disturbance during the performance. We'll get into more details. What do you, what do you two think? This is, this is crazy. First of all, yeah, I'm offended Justine. on multiple levels here because growing up, I was like a Beetlejuice super fan. You can ask my mom. Mm -hmm. It was a weird obsession. I had parakeets and I named them after all like the Beetlejuice characters. There's Barbara, Adam, and Lydia, mm -hmm. my parakeets. So I'm like, you're disrespecting Beetlejuice. <laughs> like that was one of them. And then just like the whole vaping in the theater. Like vaping in the theater. I've oh, seen goodness. people vaping on plane. I've seen people vaping in crazy places, but if you're ever in the Buell Theater, like to me growing up, it was like this place where you knew you like there was decorum and you went and sat down and clapped and were polite. And for her to act like that in there, I'm like, oh, no, man. no. But we know 
she's not great with decorum if you've ever watched her on the house floor. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, look, I uh, my take on it is like I have kids that vape all day long. They vape in the bathrooms. They vape in, in my classroom. Right. And they're like, Mr. That wasn't me. Right. Like it, 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 and mm-hmm. it's just wild because like I'm trying to be like, hey, guys, we cannot vape in communal spaces. And here we have, like, (laughs) as like a, just a fundamental thing, guys, we shouldn't vape in a classroom, like around other Mm -hmm. people. Like, it's just like a human thing. And then now we have our member of Congress vaping in the middle of a literal theatrical performance. It is very teenage activity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh. Oh man, I I got all kinds of thoughts. Let's get into yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, let me let me read <laughs> another quote. I think this will unlock some things for us. This is from the Denver Post, an editorial that um, called her out for a, a astounding sense of entitlement. I think was the quote. But anyway, here's the part I liked. Uh, this is uh, a person who was um, in the audience. I guess mm-hmm. these people were in front of us were outrageous. I've never seen anyone act like that before. The woman who lives in Denver and is in her 30s said it wasn't until later during the play that someone informed her that the misbehaving theater goer was in fact Bobert, a member of Congress. The woman says Bobert took multiple long videos during the first half of the performance. When she asked Bobert to stop vaping, the Congresswoman simply said, no, the woman said. Bobert was also <laughs> kissing the man she was with and singing along loudly with her hands in the air, the woman said. At intermission, I asked, are there any other seats available? Can we sit somewhere else? The woman said, uh, the usher said, you're not the first complaint we've had. Um, when the woman returned with her husband to the seats, she said Bobert called her a sad and miserable person. The guy she was with offered to buy me and my husband cocktails, but I'm pregnant. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this, was, this was, I guess, date night for uh, newly divorced Lauren Bobert. Oh, man. She's yeah. out I, there. What, what do you even say? Is this an astounding sense of entitlement? Is this, what else do you see in here? It's bizarre. I mean, I'm around a lot of elected officials and Congress people. And, you know, that's not an excuse to act that way. You are a part of a community. You represent people. Like, you need to chill out. That's an acceptable way for anyone to act. But the crazy thing to me, if you saw the surveillance video, it reminded me of, like, an HBO sitcom because it was just so over the top. It was like the from the dress to the shouting in the lobby, like, do you know who I am? That it's just like yeah. surreal. <laughs> Apparently she shouted at the ushers who were escorting her out. Uh she threatened to call the mayor. Yeah. No, no, no. She she also said I, I I read the story too. She's she at one point says, I'm on the board. I'm on the board. And she's not on the board of DCP. <laughs> so like I didn't see that. I just think well we're talking about entitlement, right? Like that is a unique group of people in our society who like can lie about a board or commission that they're on to like flex authority over a mistake that they chose to make, right? Like you're vaping in front of a pregnant woman in the middle of a theater on a Sunday night. Like, first of all, I don't know how bad your life is, right? Like, I don't know what's going on, but I just don't know if that's like the appropriate like response I would encourage. And look, my, my other take on this is like, look, I think she makes the streets look bad, right? Like I'm all for folks, right? vaping or having a good night on a Sunday or or doing these things. But I think like when you respond from a place of like, oh, well, I'm going to call the board and I'm like angrily berating the workers who like are there on a Sunday night trying to make money to live in Denver, right? Like I like, I, I just think that it, it it does. It's it's not just entitlement. Like, but to me, I, I think it borders the line of like, just like some, some kind of like social violence that people participate in when like they, they don't want to be accountable for things that they chose hmm. to do. 
Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of accountability, we should talk about the politics here because, you know, she's a she's a member of the House of Representatives. She gets elected every two years. Last year, she nearly lost to uh, Aspen's Adam Frisch by about by, by exactly 546 votes. So the, the story around Boebert has been she's vulnerable in this Western Slope and Southern Colorado district. Um, that's what we should talk about, I think, because her response, I think, really shows like what the strategy is or what she's thinking or what's happening in, in the Boebert camp. Mm. Um, Justine, what do, you, what do you think about that generally, like how this fits into her political situation? Well, it's interesting. She's definitely walking a line right now that I didn't think she had to before. When she first was elected, it was just like full on mega darling. But, you know, it got really close with her last election. And I think she's trying to come back because the mega narrative is not as popular in Colorado as it was. The Republican Party here is very fractured. Mm. Um, a lot of people are over it. And when you're looking at, like, sensible conservatives on the Western Slope, they're not interested in the political theater. They are interested in one of the most important issues, the most important issue facing our state, water. Mm -hmm. You know, the Western Slope, we're the headwater state. Yeah. And what goes on here with our water impacts our people here, but also the entire Western half of the United States. So they're thinking about that. They're thinking about land, land use. They're thinking about the rising cost of health care. And they need a representative who's going to work to bring in federal dollars to them and not have some type of weird vendetta with the libs. You know, and I've been all over the state doing abortion rights work, but I will say no matter where I was in Colorado, um, people are willing to cross party lines for issues like that. Like they're not going to be staunched like, well, I'm a Republican or I believe this. They want stuff done because they're they're trying to live, you know, so. So speaking to that exact point, Tim, you flagged an article for me that also came out this week from Politico, which was this lengthy profile of Boebert in this moment that she's facing. I just want to read you to a, a quote and then, Tim, I'll have you respond to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from Politico, they say, uh, determined to head off another near-death electoral experience, Boebert has made a subtle but unmistakable shift in her strategy. She is surprisingly open about her parallel identities, the Washington firebrand when in D.C. and the bring home the bacon poll in Colorado. Quote, I have these dual aspects of national and home, Boebert told Politico as she sat outside the community center in this one road town that runs parallel to the Colorado River. So what do you think? What no, I, I I would echo first what, what Justina said, right? Like mm -hmm. I think she came out, you know, similar and parallel to folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene and really like and and still, right? Like and there's like a there's like a genuine like kind of like far right that I think she preaches to and and gets a national following from, which I think we know already, right? Mm -hmm. Lauren Boebert was tweeting right today is 1776 on January 6th, right? Like Lauren Boebert is is actively right interrupting Joe Biden during his State of the Union, yelling "Build the wall!" Right? Oh, like I Lauren Boebert, about that one. right? Yeah. Like she's like, and and I I think like it's it's um it's just it's it's kind of fascinating to me, honestly, that you can pretend to be one version in another place for political dollars, for political clout, for political gain, for political press, right? And then you come here to the actual people you represent, right? to the people that actually are counting on your dollars to make sure they have clean water in the Western Slope, to make sure that we can figure out what we're going to do with our water distribution for the next, you know, states that are, are downriver, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, 
it really kind of parallels to me of how I think certain folks in our society are allowed multidimensionality, right? Like when, when I entered into politics, right, the first thing, right, I was on Fox News and the New York Post and all these things villainizing me for the one dimension that I am, which is saying, hey, I think we need an equitable and just society. And Lauren Bulberg gets to go to pretend to be something, you know, that is not appealing to her constituents and then is able to come here and, and flip it on in an entirely different way. And I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's just really interesting to me um, about how we can use political narratives for gain. And then when it comes to real people, we act completely differently, right? A, a key detail about what happened on Sunday is Lauren Boebert is actually with this man named Quinn Gallagher. And Quinn Gallagher uh, is an owner of a bar in Aspen. Um, and Lauren Boebert has made her name in like a lot of the far-right anti-trans movements that have taken place and villainizing drag shows saying we need to protect our children. And the man she was with on Sunday literally had a drag show at his bar in January of this year. Oh, wow. And yeah. so like, right, it's not just, it's, it's not just like a national profile to like how she shows up, but like you can show up in real ways that are violent and damaging to real actual people, right? Club Q in Colorado Springs that happened last year. Yeah. And then you can totally act a different way in real life. And I, I just, I, I don't practice politics that way. And I think it's just really disappointing um, that, that we allow that kind of version of politics, because I think it really limits what we can get to, you know, the representation that, that folks in Colorado actually deserve. Well, I got to push back on you a little bit uh, there, Tim, because I, I saw that um, drag show story going around on social media this week too. And mm -hmm. I just think like, I don't know if I want to hold Bober to that standard, like to mm. demand some purity from her on her anti-trans hate. For sure. And I actually think it's kind of cool that she might be seeing somebody who has different political opinions than her. That's like, to me, that's a that's a brief glimmer of hope in this whole thing, to be honest. Um, yeah, but no, Justine, that, that's fair. I, I want to ask you about the strategy here, because what I see is like she's torn. I think she's torn and she's trying to go the straight and narrow path. Like, but but inside of her is the the mega darling, the the big um, you know the exhibitionist almost. Um, like her response to the whole thing, she tweeted, I did thoroughly enjoy the amazing Beetlejuice at the Buell Theater, and I plead guilty to laughing and singing too loud. Everyone should just go see it, and if you get the chance this week, please let me know how it ends. Which is funny, you know, like, she's not like, she's not like owning the libs. Like, that's what I would have expected. This is a hoity-toity Buell Theater. I would have expected her to come out swinging like, Same. yeah, screw your fancy theater performance. I don't want to be there anyway. I regret going. But anyway, what do, what do you think, Justine? No, I think this uh, messaging and rebranding that they're trying to go with, you know, the one, I have to be this in D.C., but in Colorado, I'm just, you know, cowgirling it up. Um, it would work if we already haven't seen, <laughs> hadn't seen who she is for like all of these right. years now. Like, and I think, honestly, I think she was more into the idea of the the limelight and the stardom around it as opposed to being an actual lawmaker and what goes with it. And now she's seeing that and she's realizing that it's not going to be like, a, you know, Scott Tipton had her seat for a really long time. And so when she unseated him, it was a, a big thing. And I think in her mind, she thought, all right, I'm going to ride this seat out as a safe Republican seat. But that's not the deal. Like, 
CD3 wants you to go to Congress and represent them and have results. Like I was saying, you know, bringing money back is a big thing. And if your representative isn't working hard to secure federal dollars and they're trying to impeach Joe Biden, you're not going to get those resources back. So I think this could have worked. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was the not going for like Denver liberal elitist in their theater. Didn't want me here. Rifle Colorado girl, you know, like. She didn't go there because I think she's she's walking a very fine line right now, and she knows that. You know, she's—the thing about her is, like, a lot of people go after her about, like, her education and things like that. And I never want to attack her on those things because I don't think education should be a barrier for people. And I think that people have lots of different lived experiences. It's very elitist for us to do that. So I never go there. But when you look back, she is wild. That girl's caught some cases. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going down her case list. She got in trouble <laughs> for, like, pit bulls more times than my cousins in the east side have gotten in trouble for pit bulls. <laughs> hey, no, like, that's on, some like... wild <laughs> stuff. I'm like, girl. Yeah, like, her rap sheet is pretty long. So it makes you just think, like, about the choices she makes. It's not, like, young. They're, like, a lot of these things are very recent before she ran for Congress. So it's, like, those things we should kind of be looking at, like, is this person a sound decision maker? And I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think, like— I think it's 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 kind of like emblematic of like a, like turning into the skid. You know what I mean? Like they weren't going to be able to say that she wasn't thrown out. There's camera footage of it, right? So like it's not a smart political for for her staff to to be like, oh no, that didn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I I do think you know it's 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 kind of the notion between like and I can speak from experience now, I guess, right? Like winning an election is 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 easy compared to governing, right? Like governing and representing people and actively decentering your opinions, your beliefs, your issues to represent people is a really complicated process. And when you convince people that you're the best person to do that is one thing, right? And and that's kind of what she's done, right? Like we were talking about the Western slope, right? Which is one of, you know, people erase a lot of the time, like they, they identify Denver as a Latino area or Aurora, but it's there actually are- actually outside of Colorado, mm, larger populations. Yeah. And in the Western slope, there's a lot of Latino folks. There's a lot of Latino voters. Yesterday, the Latino policy agenda just dropped and it was really informative because like one of the top five issues that came out on that was cultural regalia at graduation ceremonies. And that's born out of a story that happened in Glenwood oh, yeah. Springs, right? Where a, a Mexican student who who's graduating high school was denied uh, originally the opportunity to wear a Mexican sash, right? And these are people who are represented by Lauren Boebert and they have real issues saying, hey, this is, you know, we, we need leadership, we need guidance. And instead, right, like, I, I do think that, um, you know, while we can be critical of antics and and stuff like that, I, I shared Justine's opinion that like, you know, folks have come for her for, you know, even for her arrest. And and I, you know, I think like there's there's pieces of like the abolitionist in me, right, that are really like, dang, like, should I be hating on her for this? But like when somebody is out there preaching law and order and respect the police and all this stuff, and she quite literally was arrested for accosting a police officer, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because she like encouraged other people to resist police officers, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think that the, it's, it's just a unique um, and really kind of damaging way of navigating um, being a representative. And I think that it's, it's, it's harmful to real people on the Western slope. Well, I'm going to put links to the surveillance footage that leaked all the stories <laughs> we talked about. So you can dive into this even further. Um, but right now uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back with wins and fails.
All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to do our favorite segment, Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows, a.k.a. Wins and Fails of the Week. Yeah. So we're going to start with Rocky Mountain Lows. Everybody's brought one to talk about. And uh, who wants to go first? I have one. And it goes in with my win. So near Telluride this last weekend, they had a euthanized uh, bear because it was eating so much trash that his stomach got blocked up and they found toilet papers and uh, uh, paper towels and wipes and plastic in his stomach. And he was starving to death. So I just want to remind people, you know, that if you're out enjoying the wilderness, going from Denver as a Girl Scout, former Girl Scout, always a Girl Scout. Respect. Um, you Thank you for leave your service. It, thank, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you leave it cleaner than you found it. And I think that there's been a lot of that. And I've heard a lot of reports, especially mm-hmm. as leaf peeping. I hate that term. Leaf peeping season comes around. Leaf um, peeping. You need mm. to be respectful of the environment. So. Mm. Well, sorry, sorry to that bear. That is that is quite a Rocky Mountain low. Yeah. Sorry Park to Ranger, hear that. Park Ranger just team. Thank you. Um, <laughs> all right, Tim, you want to go next? Uh, yeah, my, my low is pretty low. I'll give a, a content warning. I'm going to be talking about um, police brutality, excessive force. Um, last year, I was a teacher at a school called Aurora West College Preparatory Academy. It's on East Colfax, off of Colfax in Dayton. And we let out for school at the end of May. And then the next week on the Thursday after we let out of school, um, an eighth grade student at my school named Jordell Richardson um, stuck up a grocery store with some friends. And um, they, uh, the police responded and there was a chase that took place. And um, Jordell Richardson was shot and killed by an Aurora police officer. Um, and uh, he had already surrendered. I, I've watched the camera footage and, and organized with the family. Um, and he was on his back. He was restrained by multiple officers. He had already said, you got me, you got me. And he was a 14-year-old child. Um, he had just finished his eighth grade continuation the week before. And um, today, uh, the, my, my Rocky Mountain low is that uh, District Attorney John Kellner um, last week decided um, that there would be no charges filed for the excessive force of the officer who shot and killed Jordell Richardson. And um, the justification for why there were no charges brought was because Jordell, at the time, um, they believed that he had uh, a gun and um, that he uh, uh, was resisting and that there was a potential violent threat to the life of the officers. Um, It was determined immediately on scene that it was uh, uh, not a gun. Uh, It was a toy gun, an airsoft gun, a pellet gun. And so my low really goes, you know, on multiple levels. Right immediately after um, Jordell is killed, uh, Chief Acevedo of the Aurora Police Department gets up and says, a, a, a student had a fully loaded semi-automatic pistol firearm, and he 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 villainizes, right? And and for nine days in the press, they're running a story that says that Jordell Richardson was killed because he had a gun. And then it was found through the investigation in John Kellner, the DA's report, that they knew immediately on scene that it was not a gun. And so, um, you know, I, I think that there's just key parts that are really emotional for me and really sad. Um, you know, I, um, I, I don't think the, uh, um, the murder of a 14-year-old child is ever justifiable, right? Like, um, this, was a, this was a young boy who had finished his eighth grade continuation. And regardless of whether you make a mistake Regardless of what you do when you're 14, you don't deserve to die on, in, in a dirty alley on your back alone, away from your family. And um, it, was, it was really hard um, 
Last week when we found out no charges were going to be filed, I, I spoke with teachers at, at, at the school and and students were having really difficult reactions. Um, and I, I spoke with his family. I, his father was 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 there with me on, on Tuesday uh, at the swearing in. And, um, you know, it's, it's just really sad that we have a system of justice that is not just um, in every level. Right. There, there's no justification um, for, for his death. And I, I, I'm really disappointed um, that there's no accountability even, right? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't conflate police accountability with justice either, right? Justice is Jordell starting high school this month, right? And 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 he didn't because of the decisions of an Aurora police officer. And so I, I just want to give a quick plug that that it was it was really hard for a lot of folks. Um the, the family and organizers are encouraging folks to testify at the Aurora City Council meetings on Mondays at 6 p.m. Um, to go and, and ask DA John Kellner to 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 look at what accountability looks like for the Aurora Police Department. And uh, they're they're even asking folks to go. There's an event on uh, on the 26th of September um, where DA John Kellner will be having a meeting um, where they'll be talking about racial equity in the justice system. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're encouraging folks to go to support the family. Um, but it was a a really really hard thing to to kind of take in over the last week. So I I know that you were very close to the situation. I saw you at the protest um, speaking, Tim. I, I wonder. What can you tell us about Jordell and his family? I feel like I, I don't I know much about them personally, and I, I'd really like to. Um, well, I didn't teach Jordell. Jordell was an eighth grade student. I taught in the high school. Um, but from his teachers, I uh, I, I learned um, that Jordell was a um, was a key part of the community. Um, and um, you know, his, his family is, is is a wonderful family who loved that boy, and. Um, his his mom and his dad are are wonderful, powerful, strong people who are navigating a situation that no parent could ever imagine or fathom. And um, to see their strength, I think demonstrates the the strength of their parenting and their guidance. Um, to see his family rally around and 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 call for justice, I think is a difficult thing for any family to do, right? Like I I think there's there's space for grief and mourning, but to see a family transform that into strength is um, is, is always powerful, but I, um, you know, they're, they're, they're wonderful people who deserve to feel safe in, in, in their, in our community. And, and they're folks who, um, deserve accountability because their 14 year old son was taken from them the week after his eighth grade continuation. And so, well, my heart goes out to the Richardson family. Um, what a, what a difficult situation. We'll put more links to learn more about what's been happening, um, on, in the whole case, uh, in our show notes. But right now, I will move on and share my Rocky Mountain Low. Uh, this is a very different kind of story, but we were talking about water earlier. Um, so something that I've just personally been interested in and following for the last few years is the rise of this plant-based protein industry, this business, this new thing that exists. And uh, the most successful local company is a company called Meaty, M-E-A-T-I. Um, they use mushroom roots to make chicken-like products. Um, but according to a new report in the New York Times, Meaty, which, which raised $150 million last year to build a new mega factory in Thornton, has been told by Thornton city officials, you can't grow anymore. We don't have the water. 
it's not available. Thornton doesn't, they own water actually outside of Fort Collins, but they don't have access to it. They haven't been able to build pipelines. So this company that is so successful in this new field is not allowed to grow because they don't have water. And I thought that was a very interesting angle on the water crisis and our growth conversation and certainly our Rocky Mountain Low. Have either of you tried meaty? Bird calls got it. They're chicken sandwiches. Um, not meaty. I'm a big chorizo fan. Oh, me too, actually. Oh, that is the one. It's I'm, because the other chorizo is chorro. Yeah. <laughs> I tricked my grandpa and he didn't even know. They were like, really? chorizo. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically the same thing as the other two. Yeah. <laughs> it's mystery meat. Yeah. I, uh, I've eaten it. I think I've eaten it at a city of city. Is that what it is? Where yeah. they have like all the plant-based stuff and, mm-hmm. and they have a chorizo pizza that, that that's pretty good, but very cool. Um, yeah. Water. I, I do think it's interesting as, as you're describing that. It, I think it's just a reminder that like the climate crisis is not impending, right? Like it's, it's already here, right? Like we don't have enough water to support the industry that we want to be able to consume foods that, that we want to eat. And that's, that's hard. That's a hard truth for us to reckon with. There's a lot of um, conversation around water justice in Colorado. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to jump in that work, but it's, it's a, it's a multi-layered issue. Yeah. And when you find these other solutions that are supposed to be, you know, environmentally friendly, less impactful, like meatless meat, it still requires uh, resources like water. Yeah. It's still, Um, I mean, they call it a factory, but it's, I mean, they're making food. They need water. Water, water is such an integral part of so many things of like the environmental movement that it's going to be a bigger and bigger issue as we move through the years. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about good stuff. Let's talk about some nice Rocky mountain highs. Yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> I'd be happy to start. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. I've got I've got a short one. So this is kind of a follow up to um, Cherry Creek Week, which uh, was a whole week we focused on development in Cherry Creek and the whole NIMBY conversation. Um, <laughs> but earlier this year, um, I'll put some links in the show notes to those episodes. You should really listen to them. I'm very proud of that work. But I was reading in my favorite local neighborhood newspaper this week, the Glendale Cherry Creek Chronicle, Mm. that uh, Cherry Creek West is set to start construction early next year. That's the new uh, mixed-use development that's going in just west of the mall. Um, And I saw a new rendering that they published, and this is my win, which is – it looks so beautiful. They have this green space imagined and they're going to sink the road. So there's a green park space that is going to – take you so you can walk all the way from the mall to the creek and only have to go over the bike path. It just looks like a beautiful new green space huh. that these developers have imagined. And I, I really hope it, it actually looks that way in reality when all they right. build it. I right. like that. These developers are finally hitting the mark. <laughs> like, Sometimes. It looks like, well, I've just seen a lot more like renderings that look a lot better than what we were given the last, <laughs> you know, hey, 20 hey, years. And not never. for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear about, you know, multi-use, you know, inclusionary zoning and and, and things that are going to be developing affordable housing in all areas of the city. I think that we've seen it concentrated in areas like the north side, like the west side, um, like the east side, right, for a long time. So I'm glad to see, you know, all parts of our city start to take part in the housing fight. Mm-hmm. All right. Who's up next? I'll go. So my win had to do with my fail. Mm-hmm. Poor bear. Um, but Sales of the DMV issued state park passes reached thirty million dollars this month. All right, which oh. was huge because they they're trying to raise thirty six million dollars, and all of the money goes back to our wonderful state parks. And um, so 
that means only like 30% of motorists have opted in, but it's such a good deal because the state park pass is 80 bucks, but it's only $30 when you register your car and you can go see all of our wonderful state parks and the money goes to maintenance and avalanche information and all of these things that we need as, you know, Denverites who are going out and exploring our beautiful outdoors. So if you've got the park pass, pick up your trash. If you don't have the park pass, when you register your vehicle, opt in 30 bucks. It's worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 30 bucks, man. That And the, the state parks, I feel like, are so incredible in Colorado. There's all kinds of different ones. I, it would take forever to go to every single one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. You, it's a deal. Castlewood Canyon. That's my fave. What the dam. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a dam that burst like 100 years ago. Yes. It's a state what? park. You can go there and then you hike you can all walk the way over down. the old dam. Old, yes. yes. It is no so way. cool. Yeah. Is so I'm going to go buy my go purse pass for 30 bucks. Paddle board, you know, it's good stuff. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. All right, Tim, bring us home. Yeah. I, uh, so my Rocky Mountain High is actually a story that came out in Colorado politics this week. There was a hard hitting story that I was really excited to see about legislator pay. Um, because for folks that don't know, we make, uh, I, I'm, I say we, cause now I'm a legislator <laughs> at the state house. Um, in the state of Colorado, we make about $43,000 a year for reference as a public school teacher. I made 42. And so like, hey, you, got a you know, nice I get an extra like there. 80 bucks a month, uh-huh. but <laughs> right, like, um, but actually it was a wonderful story. Uh, there was a lot of folks featured, um, folks like Stephanie Vigil, um, who is representing Colorado Springs. I was really excited because it, it was really, you know, a, a kind of a, a pulling back of the mask of what does it look like to actually be a state legislator in Colorado? And it described, right, Stephanie Vigil was a gig worker who, as she was campaigning, she was, you know, door dashing and trying to make it work. And, you know, I, I and, and I think, you know, what I really appreciated about it um, was that they had featured a bunch of different stories who like shared that like, yes, legislators don't make enough, but we need a citizen legislature that represents poor people too, right? Because, you know, only offering $42,000 a year is not even close enough to live comfortably in Denver, right? Um, and I think it, it was really revealing because it kind of pulled back the idea that legislators are just a wealthy elite. There are wealthy folks in the legislature, but often that comes from the fact that they have wealth already, that they have yeah. uh, a social condition. They, they live with a partner who has a well-paying job. They have another job that allows them to do something else. Um, and it skews our representation older and wider. And so I think, um, you know, it, it featured great stories of, of my homies like uh, Mandy Lindsay out of Aurora, um, who, um, you know, has folks in her family who have have dealt with, you know, incarceration and, and you know, um, you know, from that lived experience, because she's now a legislator, passed a bill last year to make phone calls from in- incarcerated sites more affordable, right? Stephanie Vigil runs a bill on gig workers to make sure that gig workers have the right to know their transparency, right? Elizabeth Velasco, who, uh, you know, is from the Western Slope. I love her. Yeah, wonderful, yeah, wonderful person, right? Um, she ran a translation business in, in the Western Slope, which is pivotal for, uh, you know, Latinos in the Western Slope. And, you know, she passes a bill this year where emergency alerts for natural disasters were only available in English. And she passed a bill that it should be, you know, offered in all languages. Right. And so I think, you know, it, it, it was really, um, really formative. And in the story, they shared that 3% of state legislators nationally come from working class professions compared to 52% of the U S population. Right. That, hmm. that there's a, an overrepresentation of wealth in a, in a place of power. And that's why we get policy in the way that we do. And so I think, you know, it was, it was a, a really great article that really humanized a lot of the folks in the legislature that really kind of built a good, uh, what I would say, like a public narrative to start readdressing how do we want to build a legislative system that encourages people from all walks of life to participate so that we can get to the best outcomes for Coloradans. Hmm. 
That is an interesting issue. That and also that's Stephanie V Hill. Boy, she is she is impressive. Past guest on the show. We'll put a link to her <sighs> episode. She's amazing. Um, after the Club Q shooting, uh, very very interesting conversation with her. Um, the, what's the other side of this though? Because I know there's arguments against it. I think I've heard yep. people say like, uh, if we raise the pay for representatives, then we'll get people running for office just for the money, I think is one. Justine, do you, are you familiar with this debate? Yeah. I mean, this has been an ongoing debate for many years and the pay has actually increased. I think it was 30,000 yeah. <laughs> about five years ago for state legislators. Wow. But the idea is like, yeah, you have a lot of independently wealthy people running government here for a long time who $30,000 is an extra drop in the bucket. So you know, having people be able to come in and have a living wage, you open it up to people who went, especially like young, um, you know, people of color who went to school for a really mm -hmm. long time that wanted to be public servants, but then get there and they're like, oh, I've got crazy student loans. I've got all these things to pay off and I cannot live off, you know, $42,000, $43,000 a year. Um, so <laughs> there's that piece. But then, yeah, it also, you see... <laughs> Places like Denver, where you, as a, a public servant, you actually do get paid a lot of money. Our city council members make like ninety two hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, so they become more competitive and it's kind of harder to like weed out who's really there to legislate. So it's really catch twenty two. I think there needs to be a fair livable wage and that there needs to be more conversation about how we pay people in politics in general. One thing I will add, I think people see a lot of money going into the election cycle, and they think that translates mm. into, like, what the politicians are making. Mm. And it's a crazy amount of money to run for office. Like, I don't think people really understand the amount. But all of that just goes to being elected. Like, none of that goes into when you're actually legislature, hmm. legislator, legislator. And... Um, I think that that's one thing people don't understand the difference too. Like they're like, there's so yeah. much money going into politics. You're fine. And it's like, actually, no, that went to literally <laughs> your 10,000 mailers you got last election. Yeah. Yeah. Spent. Well, hmm, huh. turns out money in politics, kind of a complicated situation. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. that article sounds fascinating. I got to read up on this. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes, Tim, Justine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I appreciate you. Hey, and you listening out there, membership.citycast.fm. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Olivia Jewell Love, Natalie Rivera, and Elizabeth Kalma. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Instagram at CityCast Denver, and tell who else, Lauren Bobert, about us next time you see her. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. And now you can become a member and support our work at membership.citycast.fm. See you next week. Bull owners look bad. <laughs>